The scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis 17, verses 1 through 11. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Risen. Pastor Rich here, and it's good to see everyone again. It's good to see your chats and your jokes and, you know, your smiles and emoticons. You know, I know that right now is a very just challenging time for all of us individually, just even our families as we're just cooped up together and, you know, we don't have access to uh, sort of a consistent childcare and sending our kids to school and just with the political turmoil in our nation and the racial trauma, I mean, it has just been a very, very difficult time. And, you know, I understand that. And so I hope and I pray that you are doing well, um, that you're staying connected with each other in creative and encouraging and prayerful ways. If this is your first time joining us, I just want to welcome you to our church. Welcome to Risen. I'm glad that you're with us today. And right now we are just going through the book of Genesis. And for the past several weeks, we've been covering the life of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, before Genesis 17, actually, Abraham and Sarah's name were Abram and Sarai. But God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. So we see why. Now, no one really knows what Sarai means, but Sarah means princess. Because in verse 15, and you know, it's not in our reading uh, today, I kind of truncated it. But in verse 15 of Genesis 17, God tells Sarah that kings of people will come from her. So you're going to be a princess. You're going to be a queen. And Abraham and Sarah are understood as huge figures in the Christian faith. But we have come to see in our study of their lives that they're just normal people. They were far, far from perfect. You know how everyone says, oh, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, I'm not perfect. Well, Abraham and Sarah were far from perfect, just as we all are. And they needed God's grace and his forgiveness continually. Now, today we're going to see another pivotal scene in Abraham's life. It's about circumcision. It's off, off the cuff. It's a strange text, isn't it? It's a weird text. Grace and circumcision. What, what's going on here? And if you're new to the church, if you're new to the faith, you're probably wondering, what am I getting myself into? 
Hopefully I'll be able to clear some of this up today. But more importantly, we'll hear God speaking to us through this ancient text. So we're going to take a look at three things. First, we're going to look at God's grace in the covenant. Then second, we're going to take a look at Abraham's commitment to the covenant. And then third, we're going to take a look at the heart of the covenant. So those are our three points. So first, God's grace in the covenant. Throughout our sermons on Abraham, you know, we've talked about this concept of covenant, haven't we? It's, it's a word, it's a theme, it's a biblical concept that keeps coming up. And it's not just in Genesis, it's throughout the entire Bible. And a covenant is a bond and pact between people who are committed to each other. That's what a covenant is. A bond and pact between two people who are committed to each other. It's not just a friendship. There's much more commitment than that. It's not just a contract of services. It's much more relational than that. You see, a covenant is a deeply relational, committed bond between two people. It's the highest of relationship and it's the highest of commitment. And sometimes the partners in the covenant are equal, like a husband and wife. Other times they're not like God's covenant with Abraham. The bulk of the success of this covenant is dependent upon God. It's not like we're carrying equal weights with God in this relationship. No, God is carrying us. He's the one initiating and reinitiating and reorienting us to Him and redeeming our mistakes and renewing our hearts constantly. But just before our text today, last week, we saw how Abraham and Sarah had taken a slave with them. They had a huge lapse in judgment, a huge moral failure. Her name was Hagar. You see, Abraham and Sarah were originally called out by God to follow him and to love him and to love others around them, to be a salt and light and a witness to the grace and the glory and the love of God but they couldn't arise above their culture to take slaves. They couldn't arise above the brutality of their times. And furthermore, back then there was no 401k or, or life insurance. So your tribe was your livelihood. You needed children to help you till the land and fight off raiders and thieves and to intermarry them, to make alliances and to enlarge your tribe. But we've seen these past several weeks, how Sarah was having trouble conceiving. So against God's will, she arranges Hagar to sleep with Abraham. But this doesn't make things better. It causes jealousy and turmoil within the household. It leads to fighting and power grabbing over who's the matriarch in the household. And at the end of Genesis 16, things are just a mess. Abraham and Sarah have sinned against each other. They've broken this uh, solemn marital covenant with one another for the sake of security and significance, for having this child that might lead to a tribe that can help support them. They have regrets. They can't undo their actions. Ishmael is born, but there's hope. God shows up 
And whenever God shows up, friends, he brings hope. God comes to Abraham in verse one of our, one of our text, right off the bat, right after Genesis 16, right after that moral debacle, God shows up to Abraham and he says, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. I love Abraham's response. What else can he do but to just fall down on his face? He's believed he's messed up the covenant. And he just falls face down in complete and utter conviction and humility and surrender. And God continues for 14 more verses about his grace and his love and his blessings toward Abraham and Sarah. I won't read them all, but in verse 6, God says, I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. In verse 7, God says, this will still be an everlasting covenant between me and you. In verse 8, God says, I'm still going to give you a land as an everlasting possession. Friends, isn't this us too? You and I struggle to be right with God. You and I struggle to be right with each other, to do the right thing, to love God and to love others. It's a constant battle in our hearts to fight the selfishness and the sin in our hearts and and this sin can pour over into our relationships in so many different ways and we have mistakes and regrets and there are actions and, and words that we can't take back and we struggle with shame and despair, anger and brokenness. but I want to encourage you today to see how God responds. Man, it's beautiful. How does does God respond to Abraham in this, this moral debacle? How does he respond to Abraham and Sarah and their brokenness? He responds with grace, doesn't he? God comes into our lives with grace. He comes to us and he forgives us. He gives us hope that he's still with us, that he's still in us, that he's still for us, that he still loves us, that he'll never forsake us. Friends, the Christian God is a God of tremendous grace. He never bottoms out on us. He's never done with us. With grace upon grace, his necessary and constant grace overcomes us. (laughs) That's how stubborn his grace is. That's how powerful his grace is. That's how, that's his will, that his grace would just overwhelm us and overcome us. And his grace is not just a feel-good grace, even when he corrects us and his inquiry into our hearts is a result of his relentless, committed, and covenant grace. But maybe you're thinking, you know, I get this, Rich. I get it. I, I know this already. But no, if you're thinking that, you're overestimating yourself. You're overestimating humanity. 
You know, there isn't a higher knowledge. No self-help book is going to save us. Technology isn't going to save us. Mars is not going to save us. This is it. God's supernatural grace. This brings us to the second point, Abraham's commitment. You know, uh, even though God is grace and full of grace, this doesn't mean we sort of just kick back um, as one-way consumers. We don't carry this relationship, but just like any other relationship, we're active participators. And in verse 10, God says to Abraham, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. You still got to keep this covenant, Abraham, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now here's where things get a little bit weird. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I was, as I was reading books and trying to listen to what other pastors were saying, because this is sort of a very foreign text, an ancient text. Uh, you know, Tim Keller actually doesn't even preach on this text. He's never preached on Genesis 17. And, you know, I understand. I get it. It's a strange, foreign, weird passage. But imagine what Abraham is thinking. God, you want me to do what? Are you sure? Because, you know, this, this is irreversible. <laughs> I mean, imagine someone comes to you and says, I can save you and your family from the brokenness of this world, from death to eternal life, from eternal condemnation, from hell. You just have to get circumcised as a grown man with a flint knight, with no anesthesia. No, I'm, I'm good. I'll take my chances. <laughs> You know, out of all the things that God could have asked Abraham to do, why circumcision, right? And I've been reading several books on this, and they all sort of state the obvious, and, and maybe, maybe the answer is just right in front of us. You know, the male reproductive organ is a source of life, in procreation, of course but it's also a source of tremendous pain and devastation. Families can suffer. Great leaders have fallen. There's immense personal shame and guilt. There's societal degradation like prostitution and the adult industry. Therefore, maybe it isn't much of a surprise. Maybe it isn't that strange considering what had already led to the disintegration of Abraham and Sarah's relationship, that God would tell Abraham to get circumcised. In other words, God is saying, Abraham, you know what you did with Hagar? That wasn't right. Do you see how it was not just principally wrong, but how it has brought devastation and pain and brokenness into your life and into relationships. Abraham, I, I don't want you to forget that incident. Not because I want to just bring you down with guilt, but I don't want you to forget that incident in a sense that I want to redeem that part. What, what you have caused there in brokenness, I want to redeem it and, and use that for life and healing and renewal, I want to repurpose it. And I'm going to change that part of you, literally. I want you to dedicate that to me, Abraham. 
So in verse 10, right, God tells, God tells Abraham, every male among you be circumcised. This will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. You will forever remember what I have redeemed, your brokenness. In other words, Abraham, if you are in a covenant relationship with me, then no area of your life can be unaffected. Not just Sundays, not just your views on security and significance. Abraham, I'm not just going to change your name. I'm going to change everything about you. God is saying, Abraham, circumcision symbolizes your relationship to me. That's our wedding ring. And I want you to be faithful to me in every single way. That's what God is doing with circumcision. Talk about rising above the cultural idols of our time. I didn't include this in our reading today, but in verse 22, it says that when God had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. And then verse 24 says that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. 99 years old. And then Abraham died from the pain. No, of course, he didn't, he didn't die. But uh, Abraham probably barely survived, right? I mean, that's got to be how it happened. 99 years old, getting, you know, circumcised. But on a serious note, friends, I don't want us to miss the urgency of Abraham's actions. On that very day, Abraham circumcised this household. In essence, this is his immediate repentance. He doesn't say, I'll get around to it. Let me think about it. Hmm, God, I'm not sure if what you're saying is, is really hitting the nail here. No, you see, friends, just like Abraham, our relation with God, it does ultimately depend on God's objective and powerful and relentless grace. But at the same time, it doesn't negate our personal responsibility. Actually, God's grace is the greatest motivation for our personal responsibility. Think of it this way. If someone gifts you a million dollars, all by grace, does that negate your personal responsibility of it? No way. Right? Ideally, that money will be wisely stewarded and the intended person, purpose of that gift from the giver will radically inform how it's stewarded. And in the same way, when God gives us this amazing gift, His grace, he wants us to steward that. He wants us to bring all that we are and all that we've done on that very day to Him so that He can cleanse us and renew us and redeem us. God wants us to make immediate and urgent new commitments to Him and again and again, even if we fail again and again, just like Abraham. Nevertheless, he wants us to repent. This, this, this term of repentance throughout the scripture is turning to God and sincerely apologizing and having sorrow of, of going against him and hurting him and hurting others and to 
then again, pursue him as our joy and as our delight and to put our trust in him again. God wants us, friends, to recommit to grace and forgiveness in our relationships with our loved ones, with even our coworkers, even our enemies. He wants us to recommit to reconciliation, to confess, just as he has with us. Friends, he wants us to have a sense of urgency. He wants us to take action. This brings us to the last point, the heart of the covenant. You know, if you continue to read the rest of Genesis, you read about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who is another um, significant figure of the Old Testament. But what happens? Jacob takes four wives. Altogether, they have 12 sons, which is, again, going against what God wants in monogamous marriage. But God redeems it. He takes those 12 sons and he makes the 12 tribes of Israel. But nevertheless, the family is is a hot mess. There's brokenness. You fast forward to King David, another important but controversial, controversial figure in the Old Testament. And you find out that he had at least seven wives that we know of. And the infamous one, Bathsheba, he just took. And her husband was his most loyal friend. And David's son Solomon, supposedly the the wisest king, had more wives than any of them. And these weren't done just out of lust. They were also done for political allegiances, if you read about David and Solomon. But the message from God in Genesis 17 is crystal clear. Our allegiance to God has to be in every sphere of our lives. There is nothing that is off limits to God's authority, submission, surrender, obedience, and allegiance. But there's a problem. There's no one in the world who can do this. No one. So in Deuteronomy 30, it says much later, much after Genesis, the prophet Moses tells the people of Israel, one day the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And if you go to the New Testament, Paul echoes this this concept of circumcising your heart in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. So what the Bible is saying is that everything that we do comes from the heart. 
Everything that we say is connected to the heart. It's a matter of the heart. What the heart wants, the person follows. And life with Jesus is not about intellectual assent or outward appearances. It's not about a prosperous land. Friends, it's about a prosperous heart. It's about heart transformation. It's heart surgery. And the relationship with God and the spiritual life that flows out of this heart transplant. Paul tells us that this happens by the Spirit of God. Therefore, what the flint knife did in circumcision, the Holy Spirit does to our hearts. See, God knew that circumcision or any human-centered effort wasn't going to truly get to the heart of things. God had to get surgical. He had to get to the heart. And in Colossians, Paul says, In him that is, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. Therefore, circumcision, that is, Abraham's circumcision, was just a sign of the ultimate circumcision. The ultimate circumcision of Christ. Where he was cut off for us on the cross. In other words, in Abraham's circumcision, Abraham is committing himself to God, right? That's what he's saying. God, I, I, I'm, I'm not just going to have you change my name. I'm going to, I see what I did with Hagar. I realize that I'm a sinner through and through. I'm going to commit everything to you, all of this. That's what circumcision symbolized. But Abraham was ultimately powerless to do any of this because he was ultimately powerless to change his own heart. And this is why, friends, that the sign of the New Testament is no longer circumcision, but baptism. Unlike circumcision, instead of representing our loyalty and our commitment to God, which we've come to see is impossible, baptism is the reverse. It represents God's loyalty and His commitment to us. As the water is poured over us, God is saying, you can't do this. You can't maintain this relationship. You can't remain faithful to me. So I'm going to wash your sins away. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to spiritually cleanse you and renew your heart. And this water also represents life. So I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you a new spirit, a new power, and it's fellowship with me. And friends, this is what the gospel is, because gospel just means good news. It's an old English word that means good news. And the good news of Christianity is that despite all our rebellion, all our selfishness and our pride and our sins against God and with each other, and we see this, man, we see this right now very starkly in the world, but it's always been there and it's always been in us but Christ has taken it entirely upon himself, friends, to forgive us, to die for our sins, to be committed to redeem the brokenness in our lives and in our hearts. By the power of the Spirit, when we hear this gospel message, whether it's every Sunday, whether it's you know, as we're reading a book or, or reading the Word just privately, 
when we hear that gospel, the message of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, the spirit, the spirit gets surgical on our heart. You and I, we get cut to the heart when we hear about the love of Christ for us on the cross, that kind of commitment. And God starts to just transplant a new heart in us that starts to beat with his love and his spiritual life. And because we go astray so many times, God does this for us over and over again every time we truly grasp the gospel. Let me just end with this. You know, this week, man, I was I was just tired. I was just emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually just drained. And, you know, I love being a pastor and, and I know God has called me to this ministry and to plant this church and, and hopefully to, you know, just be a part of something beautiful in the Bay. But, man, this week was, this week was hard. It was rough. And, you know, I, I think that just the, all the underlying stress of the pandemic, you know, the news, the constant news of, of death and fear and how it's being handled and who to trust and the, the sort of frustration and anger from that. And then you have sort of the economic hit and economic insecurity, you know, social isolation and, and you know, just caring for the church and being concerned for them and the pain and anger and impact from our nation's racial trauma, the politics and the division. And some of you may already know, you know, um, I lost a cl very close uncle to cancer a couple weeks ago and, and, and the pressures just to lead during all of this was weighing heavy on me. And I was just, I was just on empty this week. I just felt so weak and insufficient. Like I just, I just, I just felt so weak in my, my faith and just the love in my heart. And you know, like I just didn't, I wasn't happy. I, there wasn't any joy. I, I didn't have any, I didn't feel any strength. I just, I just didn't want to get up. And friends, maybe you felt like this before or you feel like this right now. And also, I didn't even want to preach this week. I just, I just wasn't in the right place. I didn't have it in me. But as one of my mentors told me, whether I feel like it or not, Sunday cometh. <laughs> and his flock need to eat. They, you guys, are desperately starving for his word the bread of life in the midst of all of this chaos and whatever the culture is preaching at us. So, you know, I'm just praying to God to give me his word um, to speak to you all, you know, which I do every week, but this past week, I mean, I was really feeling the desperation of it. And to clear my head, you know, I just went on a night run. Man, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I just had to get out. Like, I just, I just had to get out and, decompress in any kind of way. And um, as I was writing this, this, this song that we're gonna sing right after this, it, it kind of uh, was on my Spotify. 
popped up and I'll share the lyrics in a minute, but as I was listening to it, I was cut to the heart. I think I was, I was just, by the Spirit of God as it was using the gospel lyrics, I was just convicted, just, just deeply convicted of my inability to love God, my inability to trust in Him right now above everything and anything. My lack of faith in the joy of his love and rule during this season. My, my weak perseverance, my fragile emotions, and my lack of obedience to his righteous and secure and time-tested and time-proven word. My lack of desire to be in his presence because I just want this season to pass to be in communion with him. And my lack of, my lack of delight in the riches of Christ and his grace and eternal glory and security. And God took just this small window of opportunity and he revealed to me rich, I know all of this. I know you to the bottom. But it's okay. And he injected his hope into my heart of who he is and and what he's done for me and how he's made the ultimate commitment to me. How he's still with me. How he's still with you. How he's still in us. How he's still for us. And, and, you know, like as I'm running, like tears just started to come down. I stopped, I stopped running. Couldn't do it. So you couldn't even see. <laughs> it's probably scaring people as they're driving. Uh, and I just stopped on the side of the road and I just, I just thanked him. I just started to thank him for his, for his grace and his love, <laughs> for his tenderness. Man, it was... And I was asking him for forgiveness for, for just straying and putting my hope and joy and peace and so many other things, but always coming empty because only he can give us the perpetual love, grace, and glory and security that we're, we're all after in Jesus. And I just sort of asked him to transform my heart, to get surgical, to do spiritual heart, surgery on me because I I can't do it myself. I can't see. I I don't have the skills. It was just sort of those, one of those moments, you know, um, when you're worshiping God, wherever you are, where you just, where you just don't want it to end. Because God's grace in that moment seems to just shoot right through your heart as purely as ever. And I thought to myself, man, this must have been what Abraham felt when God showed up in his grace in Genesis 17. And this, has, this must have been the reason why in John chapter 8, Jesus said, when Abraham saw my day, he was glad and he rejoiced. 
I like to think that Abraham must have had tears in his eyes. Tears of redemption. Tears of hope. Let me just read a couple lines from this song and we'll close. The song is called Run to the Father. That's what it says. You saw my condition, had a plan from the start, your son for redemption, the price for my heart. And I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. My heart needs a surgeon. My son, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. Friends, this was Abraham's song. Let it be our song too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is just um, tumultuous right now. And I'm not sure if everyone has someone to process this with and how alone they feel, how powerless they feel, how afraid they feel. But I pray that you would shoot like a lightning bolt of your grace right through all of us. And you would just convict us like Abraham of your undeserving grace for us. That we would just fall down face forward because what else can we do? And you are so, so gracious. Because when your voice speaks to us, it's, it's never out of this judgmental, condemning, shaming anger. But a righteous, caring, hopeful, truthful love. So Father, Would you reveal yourself to us today by the power of your spirit like a flint knife? Would you get surgical on all our hearts and cut away the dross and the fat, the toxicity, the sin, the selfishness, the pride and transplant one with life and love and Jesus. Help us to run to you again and again for our hearts need a surgeon. Our soul needs a friend. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.